Well, some of you know that when I moved here from Arizona nine years ago, I was an Arizona Diamondback fan. In fact, I had season tickets from their inaugural season in 1998 until about 2008 and attended many, many games and uh, was even given tickets for the seventh game of the World Series in 2001 when the Diamondbacks won that game. It was an exciting game. But today, I would probably consider myself a Pirates fan most of the time. If they're playing the Diamondbacks, I'm conflicted. But, you know, if you can't be with the ones you love, love the ones you're with. And so, but, but I am still very much aware that my D-backs are number one in the NL West right now. And it would be great to see them go to the World Series but I would also like to see the pirates get there. Now, all of that introduction is because as I was preparing this message, I remember something that happened way back in 2001. It was right after the D-backs had won the National League Championship, and they were selling tickets, getting ready to sell tickets for the World Series. And the local news kept showing the lines around the ballpark. And I mean around the ballpark of people who had been there for hours waiting to buy tickets. And they kept interviewing these people. Some had camped out the night before. Some had gotten there really early and were mad that they let people camp out the night before. You know how that always goes. They interviewed all those people. And I remember one guy in particular. I was watching my news at home, and I remember this guy, and they interviewed him, and they asked him how long he'd been waiting. And he had been waiting for hours and hours and hours. And then he said this, but waiting's half the fun. And while I was watching it, I thought, those are words you will never hear come out of my mouth. I do not think waiting is fun. Under any circumstances, I don't think waiting is fun. I mean, I was the kid who never slept on Christmas Eve because I was excited about waking up and uh, seeing my presence. And I was the kid who always asked, are we there yet? When we were on a trip, not because I was tired of being in the car, but because I couldn't wait to get where we were going. I am the guy who changes checkout lanes at uh, retail stores because the other line looks faster. You know, I change lines and then I get behind the coupon queen. You know what I mean? She pulls out 47 coupons and she's the one that brags to all of her friends about how much she saves, but never mentions to all of her friends how much of my time she wasted because I was in line behind her. And I'm the pastor who rarely sleeps on Saturday night because I'm excited about the message that I am going to deliver. I'm the father who doesn't, didn't sleep on Christmas Eve because I couldn't wait to see the joy in my kids' eyes when they open their gifts. I'm the guy who never sleeps the night before we leave on vacation because I'm excited. You get the picture? I hate to wait. And most of us don't like to wait. I heard recently of a woman who was shopping and she needed some help and she looked around for a clerk and she saw this nicely dressed man and she went over to him and she said, can you wait on me? And he said, well, I might as well. I'm already waiting on my wife and kids. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. But whether we like it or not, life 
often makes us wait. And God often calls upon us to wait. We started this series last week, and we're looking at some of the things that God says to us, some of the messages that we hear from God. And today our title is, God says, wait, trust my timing. And have you ever felt like God was asking you to wait I mean, maybe you're praying and you're looking at the situation and it seems really clear to you what ought to happen and that God would be honored if he did this. And it just seems so clear, but it isn't happening or it isn't happening as quick as you think that it should. And it seems God is delaying in the situation. It seems that he is clearly telling you to wait. And I struggle when that happens. I'm not a very patient person. I want what I want and I want it now. And that's true in many areas of my life, but it's also true in my relationship with God. Like I say, I think that I can see very clearly what God should do, and I don't understand why it's taking him so long. And probably the biggest reason that we're frustrated when God says wait is that wait often feels more like silence. I mean, usually God doesn't write the word wait in the sky. He usually doesn't whisper in our ear that this is not the right time. He just seems so silent and so far away. Some may be getting uncomfortable right now when we talk like this about God. Some feel that to indicate that it feels like God is silent or far away or unconcerned is somehow irreverent, that it's somehow unholy. And if you're feeling that way, I would say that either you have never faced a crisis in your life that caused you to absolutely beg God for a quick answer, or you've been afraid to express your true feelings to God. Some of us here, maybe most of us here, have had circumstances in our lives where we begged God for a quick answer. For my wife Jill and I, it was the healing of our chronically ill daughter. For some of you, it may have been the healing of your marriage. Or for someone that you loved to overcome chemical dependency or the restoring of a friendship, or to be able to hold on to a job that you needed in the midst of a downsizing. And whatever the situation, most of us know what it's like to beg God for a quick answer to our prayers, only to hear a deafening silence. God may be whispering, wait, but in that moment, it feels as if he is shouting, go away. I don't care about you, and I don't care about your situation. Now, one of the couples that we read about in the Bible could tell us how it feels when God says, wait. I'm talking about Abraham and Sarah. In fact, their situation might have been even worse than ours. God made a specific promise to them. He made it clearly, he made it directly, and he repeated it several times. The promise was first made in Genesis chapter 12. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and he said, I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. And Abraham built an altar there to commemorate the Lord's visit. It must have been thrilling for Abram, later called Abraham, to have 
have God make this promise. He builds a memorial, an altar, to remember this great promise. Abraham and Sarah had been promised that God would make them a great nation, that he would give them many offspring, and that was significant because Abraham and Sarah had no children at this time. They had no children. And so for them, the promise wasn't just to give them land, it was to give them a son. And yet, after the promise had been made, nothing happened. They waited, and they waited, and Sarah didn't become pregnant. Then God repeated the promise. Look at chapter 15 of Genesis. We'll look at several different verses there. Afterward, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own to inherit everything I'm giving you. Look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be like that, too many to count. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord declared him righteous because of his faith. Have you ever noticed how different rooms that you walk into can have different feelings or different emotions. Rooms can have emotions and feelings. I mean, if you walk into a room like this, what would you feel? I mean, I'm guessing you would be happy. You'd be ready to have fun. You'd be ready to celebrate a birthday and to laugh and to talk to people that you love and hug people you haven't seen in a while. I'm guessing a room like this would put a smile on the faces of most of us. Or you might walk into a room like this. And what would you feel? I mean, you would see the table set for two and the candlelight and you would notice that obviously someone has gone to a lot of work to prepare a special meal. Now, if you walk into your home and you see a room like this, your reaction might depend a little bit on your situation. I mean, if you live alone and you aren't in a romantic relationship and you walk in and see this, you probably would run screaming from your house because it would mean you had a stalker, right? That would be your reaction in that situation. But if you're married, if you're in a romantic relationship, you would probably smile and you would assume it is going to be a good night. I mean, if there's kids, they're probably already at grandma's or with a sinner, you know. So what are your feelings? You probably feel loved. You probably feel joy. You feel romantic. But the emotions of this next room are very different. A hospital waiting room just has a feeling all of its own. Waiting rooms are pretty much the same. They all have those old magazines and some chairs set around in conversation groupings. And somewhere close by, there's a coffee machine or a water machine. But what do you feel in a waiting room? You feel anxious. Will everything be okay? You feel impatience. When will we finally get some answers? You feel fear. Will the outcome be worse than we anticipated? Now, here's my observation. We don't like waiting rooms. 
We don't like waiting rooms, but we spend more time in waiting rooms than most of the other rooms that we've looked at. I mean, I've spent more time in waiting rooms than I have in celebration rooms or vacation rooms or even family rooms. Now, sometimes the outcome in the waiting room is good. A baby is born healthy or a surgery uh, is successful and a complete recovery is expected. But other times, the news is absolutely life-shattering. It's absolutely life-shattering. And often while we're in the waiting room, we don't know. We just don't know if the news is going to be good or if the news is going to change our lives forever. So often a waiting room is a place of anxiety and fear and concern. And many of us, like Abraham and Sarah, have spent time pacing in God's waiting room. We've spent time pacing in God's waiting room. We've prayed and we've worried and we've waited for answers that just seemed very slow in coming. And I suspect some of us are in one of God's waiting rooms right now as we sit here. You've been praying and you've been begging God for a quick answer and it just doesn't seem like you're hearing from him. You've been praying for so long that you wonder if he's going to answer your prayers at all. Now, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to focus an entire message on unanswered prayer, and we're going to go into detail on that. But today, today, let's look at some of the facts that we should remember when God seems to be saying, wait to us. The first fact to remember is God may be focusing on a different priority. He may be focusing on a different priority. Look at just the first few words of chapter 16 of Genesis, verse 1. Here's what it says. But Sarah and Abram had no children. Isn't it amazing how so much can be said in just a few words that they had no children? They'd been promised by God that they would have a son, but they had no children. They had been waiting for God to keep his promise, but they had no children. And when we're in these circumstances, we think we know what's best. We think we know what's important. And to Abraham and Sarah, what seemed important to them was having a baby. They believed God when he had made the promise. And they went out and they looked at cribs. They looked at maternity clothes. They discussed names and made plans for college fund. But God seemed so slow, and they had no children. And so Sarah and Abraham took matters into their own hands. They developed their own plan, and they ran ahead of God. Look at what it says and, uh, as you go on in chapter 16. Since the Lord has given me no children, Sarah said... You may sleep with my servant girl, and her children shall be mine. And Abram agreed. This took place ten years after Abram had first arrived in the land of Canaan. Now, did you catch it? This was ten years after they arrived in the promised land. This would mean that they had been waiting for over ten years for God to keep his promise. They'd been waiting for 10 years or a little bit more uh, for God to keep his promise. And remember, they weren't teenagers when God first made the promise. 
Right now, after waiting 10 years, Abraham is 85 years old, and his wife Sarah is 75. So Sarah comes up with a plan of her own. Sarah asks Abram to sleep with her servant girl, and Abram, being a good, devoted husband, does what his wife asks. Now, when I'm waiting, I often run ahead of God just like they did. I mean, when I'm waiting for him to work, I get impatient, and I try to help God. I start doing things to uh, help what I believe to be God's will take place and be accomplished. And when I do that, just like Abraham and Sarah, I end up making mistakes. You see, the problem is never that God isn't going to work. It's just his timing and his priority system is different than mine. And he can't work when I'm interfering. He can't work when I'm interfering. I have shared before the little poem that I have come to love called Let Go and Let God. It says this, as children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because he was my friend. Instead of leaving him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last, I snatched them back and cried, how can you be so slow? My child, he said, what could I do? You never did let go. You never did let go. God's priority system is so different because he sees the ultimate outcome. He knows the future. He knows what heaven is like, and he knows what our future will be like. And often my priority system is a pain-free life. I want the pain to stop, but God uses often the current pain in our lives to stop even greater pain down the road. God is like a parent who takes their child for a shot. Some of you have done that. You take your child for the shot, and the child doesn't want the pain from the shot. They don't want the pain of the poke. And here's the thing, your child believes that you are big enough and strong enough to stop that pain, to make sure that the nurse and the doctor won't inflict that pain on them. And as a parent, you don't want them to go through pain either, but you know something that the child doesn't understand. You know that they need the pain of that shot to help them avoid greater pain and worse diseases down the road. And so, even though your child doesn't understand why, you allow your child to endure the pain of the shot. Now, as parents, we understand that. But somehow, as God's children, we still want to just insist that he stop the pain in our life. Now, where did we get this idea? Where did we get this idea anyway? Where did we get the idea that our life would be pain-free or problem-free? Who said that life would be free of physical pain? Who said that there would be no crime? Who said that there would be no heart problems or marriage problems or financial problems? Who promised that you would never lose a job that you love or lose a spouse that you love or lose a child that you love? God never said that. 
God never promised those things. He never said that life would be easy. He never said that it would be pain-free. He just promised to be with you in the midst of it. He promised to take you to heaven when it's all over if you keep trusting him. God never promised that life would be easy, just that it would be worth it in the end. Write this down. God's priority is not a problem-free life, but a hell-free eternity. His priority is not a problem-free life. He wants people to be saved. He wants a hell-free eternity. So while you're waiting, it might help you to realize that God may be focusing on a different priority. Secondly, God may be focusing on a different agenda, on a different agenda. Let's go back to the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abram was 99 years old when the Lord appeared to him again and said, I'm, I am God all-powerful. If you obey me and always do right, I will keep my solemn promise to you and give you more descendants than can be counted. So God confirms the covenant again to Abraham when Abraham is 99 years old. And this time, Isaac, his son, is born the next year. And so when Isaac is born... Abraham is 100 years old, and his wife Sarah is 90 years old. Now, I don't know about you, but most people would consider 90 years old well past the childbearing years. I mean, that, that seems like maybe uh, a different thing, but this is the first time she gives birth. But don't miss the point. The first time God had made the promise Abraham was 75 years old. And then 10 years later, God shows up and repeats the promise. And then after another 14 years, God shows up and repeats the promise. And this time, Sarah gets pregnant. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for God to keep his promise. How many of you think that's a long time for God to be saying, Wait? Boy, I do. I do. Do you think during those 25 years that Abraham and Sarah talked to God about this? Do you think they prayed about it? I bet they did. I mean, I'm sure that they talked to God about it often. I'm sure that Abraham knew God had promised him a son, but wondered why he was waiting. I imagine while he was waiting, Abraham probably felt some of the same things that we would have felt if we were in his shoes. He must have thought that maybe he misunderstood God. Maybe that's really not what God meant. Or he thought maybe that the sin in his own life was so bad that uh, he, that it had made God change his mind. He probably bargained with God. He made all sorts of promises saying, God, if you will keep this promise, here are things that I'll do. But ultimately, at some point, you've got to think that Abraham had begun to doubt God. That's what I would have done. In fact, there's been times in my life when that is what I have done when I've been wait, asked to wait. And the answers to my prayers are seldom as clear as Abraham's promise from God usually was. You see, usually God doesn't make his promises to me as directly and as often as he did to Abraham. 
I pray a prayer and I wait for an answer. And I, like you, have prayed many prayers that were very important to me. Many times I have prayed prayers for literally years. And looking back, I can see now that God told me to wait. But at the time, it just felt like he was silent. And then even when he did answer, sometimes his answers weren't exactly what I had prayed for. They were different. But during the waiting times, I've thought that the problem was me. That maybe it was my sin or my lack of commitment. Listen to me. Write this down. Just as we can't earn our salvation with good works, we also can't earn the answer to our prayers. Just like we can't earn our salvation through good works, we also can't earn the answer to our prayers. Ultimately, when I am being told to wait by God, I have begun to doubt his faithfulness. I begin to feel abandoned by him, and I begin to feel like he doesn't care. And Abraham must have felt some of those same feelings. For 25 years, God said, wait. And God doesn't have to tell me to wait for even a month before I begin to have my doubts or at least question my understanding of his promise. Notice, though, that doubting is not the problem. Doubting is not the problem. Some Christians seem to believe that it is sin to doubt God. And I think that many are dishonest when they pretend that they don't. You see, God is not surprised by my doubt. He is not offended by my questions. The point is that my doubting God's faithfulness does not make him unfaithful. Me doubting God's faithfulness doesn't make him any less faithful. It usually just makes me impatient and shows that his agenda and my agenda are different. Look at this passage from Isaiah 55. This plan of mine is not what you would work out, says the Lord, neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than yours. And then look at Proverbs 19, 21. We make a lot of plans, but the Lord will do what he has decided. Oh, we make a lot of plans. <laughs> and God laughs sometimes because he knows what he's going to do. We see the pain of the moment that we're living in and our agenda is to stop the pain. And God sees all that will happen in the future. He saw and cared about the pain that Abraham and Sarah felt. He saw that Sarah was hurting because she didn't have any children. He also knew that he was gonna answer that prayer, that he was going to give her a son when she was 90 years old. And that outcome never occurred to Sarah. It just never occurred to her that God would give her a baby when she was 90 years old. It didn't occur to her because she thought it was impossible. She thought it was impossible. She thought that she was past the point of bearing children. But God wanted his agenda to involve a miracle he wanted it to involve a miracle, a miracle that everyone around the world would see and be amazed by. I mean, if a 90-year-old woman gave birth today and the child had been fathered by a 100-year-old man, do you think that would make the news? Do you think people would attribute that to God, to a miracle? And God's agenda was the birth of this child would be special. 
that this birth would begin his plan to bless the world forever, that eventually from this birth would come a a savior, uh, the salvation of everyone who learned to trust God fully. It would result in the salvation of people in Abraham's day and the salvation of people in the Pittsburgh region in 2018. God's agenda was far bigger than giving a childless couple a child. His agenda was to give the world a savior, to give the world a savior. One last thing to remember while you are waiting God may be focusing on a different goal, a different goal. I know we just talked about God's ultimate agenda of salvation for the world, but I think when we are waiting, God probably also is working on a more personal goal in our lives. I think God still wants to work in our lives in ways that are unexpected, even in ways that seem miraculous to us. But sometimes that involves making us wait, and often we just are unwilling to wait. Yet his goal for us might involve waiting. It might necessitate waiting. What are some of the possible goals that God may be trying to achieve by making us wait? Let me quickly mention a few. The first one is this, his goal may be to help us grow stronger, help us grow stronger. Waiting is one of the ways that God builds character qualities into our life. He may use delays to give us time to grow spiritually stronger. He may develop our faith more or our patience. He may also be giving us time to grow past some of our current struggles so that we are ready for the answer that he's going to give us that we've been praying for. His goal may also be to help us modify our request, to help us modify our request. Quite often, when I first pray, I don't completely understand the situation enough to know what I really need or even what I really desire. I usually think I do, but looking back, I am pretty glad that God did not answer some of my prayers the way that I first prayed them. I shudder to think who I'd be married to today if God had answered that prayer the way that I first prayed it. That, that's just one example. There's other things that I could give. But sometimes in waiting, we have a chance to think the situation through and to modify our request based on God showing us more and giving us more wisdom. His goal may be to help us rest and recover. God may know that you need time to rest before he moves you forward to your next step. You may need to recover from the past hurt before moving into that next relationship or into that next job. He may give you time of solitude or unemployment or loneliness as a way to help you rest and recover. And lastly, his goal is often to help us trust him more, to trust him more. I mean, he could solve our problems in an instant. He could solve our problems the very first time we ask. Our leaders are praying diligently right now about the financial situation of our church, which is a little uh, tight right now. And God could solve that problem very easily. I mean, we could strike oil on the back lot. You know, I mean, that would probably solve the problem pretty easily, but he wants us to trust him. And he wants us to trust his people to provide because that's what his word teaches us to do.
And he could just miraculously and instantaneously rescue you and me from all of our pain and resolve all of our problems. But if he did that, then we would begin to take that for granted. We probably wouldn't even notice that it had been him working in our life. And I've struggled through some hard times and some waiting times in my life. And because of those times, I can testify to this clearly. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. He will act. He will answer. Not always the way that we ask. Usually not in the time we expect. But you can trust God. You can trust him even while you're waiting. And I trust him fully because many times he has said, wait. And I have waited, though usually impatiently. And every time, every time, God has been trustworthy. You can trust him. I have found this verse to be true and comforting from Isaiah 40. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And so if you're in God's waiting room right now, trust him. He will provide new strength while you're waiting. He will keep you going through the waiting time. And he absolutely can be trusted. And he may also be focused on a different goal for your life than what you're expecting him to achieve. So as we conclude, let me ask you, what are you waiting on God for? What have you been praying for? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's for healing for yourself or someone that you love. Maybe it's the salvation of one of your kids or your spouse. Maybe it's a solution to a long time problem. And I know it's lonely sometimes in God's waiting room. And maybe you need to step to our next steps canopy after the service and invite someone to join you in what you've been praying for or ask someone to help you get through it. But I want you to know God is with you. He's there. You are not alone. And God is with you and he's working. So keep listening and keep trusting. And while you're waiting, here are two verses that you can cling to. From Psalm 37, verse 7, it says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. And then Micah chapter 7, verse 7 says this, As for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. God promises to hear us. So let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, some sitting in this room are so discouraged because they've been praying for so long and they believe that the answer to their prayer is good and godly and yet you seem to be saying to them, wait, trust my timing. And so, Father, right now, we acknowledge that it's frustrating, but we throw ourselves at your feet. We choose to trust you. And, Father, we pray that you will help us to uh, follow you fully, 
to begin to see your priorities, to begin to care about your agenda, to begin, Father, to allow you to achieve your goals in our life. And Father, right now, I just pray that for those that are doubting, that you will give them strength. For those that feel alone, that you will just help them to be aware of your presence in their life and that you've surrounded them today, right this minute, with people who care for them. And Father, most of all, we are so thankful that your promise is not for a pain-free life here, but your promise when we've trusted Jesus is for an eternity with no strife, with no waiting, with no problems, with no pain. And Father, we cling to Jesus, the hope of our salvation. And Father, today we promise you again that we're going to trust you and trust your timing. In Jesus' name, amen.